heard what he said, you're going to like what he said. Let me hear y'all say, I heard what he said. I like what he said. Let me hear y'all say, I believe what he said. Now let me hear you say, what he said, that's what I say. How many of you know that's how you can change your life? I figured that's why you came here today. You could have been anywhere on a beautiful spring Sunday morning, but you're here. I'm figuring that's because you want tomorrow to be better than today is, don't you? Amen? You want next month to be better than this month and next year to be better than this year. Well, how many of you know that's how it starts? Say it again. I heard what he said. I like what he said. And what he said, that's what I say. Amen. Glory to God. I'm so glad to be here this morning. I'm glad you are. You guys can be seated. <clears throat> I asked somebody back here in the back, I said, uh, are y'all ready to have a good time? How many of y'all came here this morning expecting to have a good time? Raise your hand if you did. Amen. You know, in the church I grew up in, if we had a good time, we were shocked. And most of the time, if I had a good time at church, when I got home, I got a spanking. That's right. <laughs> you too. <laughs> Man, good time didn't start. How many of you know in those churches, good time didn't start until somebody said, you're dismissed? That's, that's the first point we smiled at the whole service, you know. Some of them woke up and smiled. Oh, well, we're dismissed. <laughs> but I like that you came here today and you expect to have a good time. My experience in life is you tend to get what you expect. You ever heard people say, well, I didn't expect that to happen, you know. And that's part of the problem in our life is we need to increase our expectations. Say that. I need to increase my expectations. You need to elevate your level of expectation in your life so that you're believing God that tomorrow is going to be the best day, that next month is going to be the best month, that next year is going to be the best year. Say this to me. My best days are ahead of me. My happiest days, where are they? Where's the greatest blessing you've ever known? Don't fall out on me here. Where's the greatest blessing you've ever known? It's ahead of you. It's not behind you. Amen? How I many you know a lot of people, the, their best days, have you ever known somebody, clearly it's none of you, but how many of you have known somebody who lives their life like this? Always looking back. And how many of you know generally they're not looking back at good stuff, they're looking back at bad stuff? But how many of you know, either way, whether you're looking at the good stuff, you know, well, we built an altar, wasn't that wonderful? How many of you know the greatest blessings you ever like? Let me get one I know y'all will hook up with. Same, the biggest paycheck I've ever had. Where is it at? It's ahead of you. The most prosperous days, the most healthy days, the most productive days you've ever known. All of that can be ahead of you if you get your level of expectation that that's genuinely what you believe is going to happen. Because if you believe it in your heart, and you confess it with your mouth, how many of you know the Lord said, that's how it works? Let me hear y'all say, that's what he said. said. Say it again. I heard what he said. I I like what he said. I I believe what he said. And what he says, that's what I say. Amen. Well, my name's Kim Cloud. I've been having the wonderful privilege of coming here probably 12, 15 years. Over 20. I love it. I was telling Ronald, I may have had hair when I first started coming here, so that that would tell you. but I'm thrilled to be here today, and I see most of you that I've seen here almost every time. But there may be somebody here who's never heard me. If you've never heard me, raise your hand. Okay, two or three of you. Um, I, I met Phyllis and Clint before service. And are you the Susan? You're the Susan. You're Janice. Well, my name's Kim. 
A little etymology of my life. I grew up in church. How many of y'all here grew up in church? And when I say I grew up in church, let me about, you know, just uh, expand on that a little bit. Uh, my family did tent revivals. How many of y'all remember tent revivals? Sawdust on the floor. You have to have gray hair or no hair to remember tent revivals. <laughs> Sawdust on the floor, wooden folding chairs. They had a tent seat about 2,000 people, and they would come into town and start having church. Let me hear y'all say, every morning. Ten o'clock every night. Every night. Y'all are shocked at the every morning. and You can't even go with me on the every night. Some of y'all think you've come to church on Sunday morning. You've done something. I'm talking about we had church every morning at 10 a.m. Every night at 7 p.m. So when I tell you I grew up in church, I mean, I grew up in church. And my family did gospel music all over the world. My dad preached in 115 countries, brother. Crazy. Took him 63 years to do it. And they're in the Gospel Music Hall of Fame. When I tell you they did gospel music, I mean they did gospel music. I'm reminded Joey Hamby, who has ministered here before, used to play keyboards for Clout Family, I bet you, 55 years ago. A long time ago. Um, so I grew up that way. Now, my dad preached 63 years. His dad, my grandfather, preached 78 years. That's not how long he lived. That's how long he preached. He lived to be 98, preached 78 years, and perhaps most shockingly, was married for 72 years. I say shocking because it was to the same woman. Y'all know that's God. I mean, I've known people married 45 years to five people. This was 72 years to the same person. And he smiled every day of his life. Happiest man. Just awesome. So when I tell you I grew up in church, I want you to know that's, that's my story. Paul Overstreet wrote a song you may remember about 30 years ago. He said, I come from a long line of love. I do. Which is why I have no excuse for the fact that though my dad was a preacher, my grandfather was a preacher, I was rebellious. Full disclosure, I was a hellraiser. I just was. How many of you here are ever rebellious? And the rest of you are still liars. Well, that's fine. We don't... <laughs> We all have our thing. I'm just telling you that was mine, and clearly you have yours. But uh, that's why it's so remarkable that I'm standing in front of you today in all sincerity, that the redemptive power of God to change somebody's life, because I had every opportunity to grow up knowing the truth, hearing the truth, seeing the truth twice a day. And I couldn't figure... I, I remember standing back after I got born again, and I thought, why was I so rebellious? I had such a hard heart. And Lord spoke and he said, your problem, son, listen now, listen with your heart. He said, your problem was you were overexposed, but under-responsive to the truth. And he said, that is the recipe for a hard heart. How many of you know it would be better for you to never hear than to hear and not respond? Because how many of you understand once you've heard the truth, you're responsible for it? Wave your hands, I know that's right. That's how I got a hard heart. I heard it every week and never responded to it. And so it wasn't until I was 18, chronologically, I was about 45 experientially. Uh, you know, when I met my wife, she thought I was 10 years older than I am. I said, I'm a relatively new model. I'm just really high mileage. So, uh, But how many of you know, as deep a pit as I had run my life, how many of you here ran your life into a deep pit? Because, I mean, I couldn't wait to get out of my parents' house 
See, the church I grew up in was so restrictive and so legalistic. You know, if you did anything that, that was perceived to be fun, I mean, they'd look at you and go, hell. I mean, that was kind of, you know, it's like, were you dancing? Sort of, hell. Anybody go to that church? You know, right. Were you in that movie theater, Kim? Yes. Hell. You're going to hell. Uh, and, and this is the one I could, they said, are you playing cards? I said, yeah. And they said, is it Rook? I said, no. And they said, hell. <laughs> I mean, no, there's a dispensation for Rook, like in Leviticus or somewhere, I'm certain. Uh, so I grew up believing God don't want me to have any fun, and he gave me two parents to make sure of it. <laughs> Only role I could see they played in my life was to keep me from having fun. So I couldn't wait to get out of my parents' house so I could do what I wanted to do, so I could be free. But what I did was I drove my life directly into a ditch. You're wanting to get your driver's license. I'm talking about as soon as I got the driver's license in my life, I drove directly. And when I say in a ditch, the front wheels of my life were down in the ditch. The back wheels were sticking up in the air. I still had my foot on the accelerator, y'all. <laughs> Party! <laughs> and then I realized I wasn't getting out. And I had church people come to me and say, you're going to hell. Well, I was. <laughs> but then one of them said something to me that changed my life. And he said, the obvious thing is your life is in a pit. But young man, his love goes deeper than your pit. That's the word everybody needs to hear. The world is full of hurting people, hopeless, despair. That's why they're looking back. There is no future in their mind. But it doesn't matter how deep the pit is in your life. His love goes deeper still. That's why we call it good news. So that's just the story of my life. I married, met my wife Susan. We've been in full-time ministry now 44 years. So I'm a little over halfway to what my grandfather did. And one thing I think is incredible, brother. My grandfather started preaching in 1924. Cloud Indian family began in 1924. Next year will be 100 years continuous, a century that our family's been in full-time ministry. So I'm the third generation, but I think that's remarkable. I can't believe that. And a lot of people who knew me as a kid can't either. You know, they're like, you're a preacher. <laughs> I saw a guy about six weeks ago in Atlanta, and we'd gone to high school together, and he said, man, somebody told me you were a preacher. And he said, if God will forgive you, he'll forgive anybody. <laughs> and I thought, you know, he just preached a sermon right there. That, that's the truth. I, I'm proof that if God will forgive me, he will forgive you. And so for me to be able to stand before you is such a tremendous thing and be able to do this now for 44 years. I get to be in a different city and state every week, go around and minister the truth of the gospel and tell people the good news. I got a good word for you today. I mentioned my wife a couple of times. She's not here with me. But uh, my wife, Susan, how many of you here get her newsletter? Raise your hand if you get her newsletter. Just a few of you do. Some of you do. You enjoy it? She does a good job of that, doesn't she? Now, you're saying, what's her newsletter? Well, here's the deal. Uh, 34 years ago, we started outreach to American Indian people. We're convinced you don't need an expensive plane ticket to do mission work. I'm for, Jesus said, go into all the world. So I'm 100% embraced that. I have ministered, you know, internationally. However, I believe any mission endeavor has to start at home. In short, I don't believe we should start a soup kitchen, for example, in Birmingham, if you've left your kids at home hungry. Wave your hands, I know that's right. And so we believed 34 years ago, we realized people were going all over the world to do mission work, but the original inhabitants of this land, 
who many of you share their blood, right? How many of you here have native ancestry? You don't know how much, but you got enough to make you good looking. Raise your hand if you do. Yeah, right. That's my story. Um, all of you have their land. I mean, you may not have their blood, but you've got their land. So to me, that says, if anybody bears a responsibility to minister to them, well, we shouldn't have to look far. It's us. And yet we found that was a, not a crowded mission field. And so for 34 years, we've done outreach from the Seminole in Florida to the Navajo of Pima and uh, Apache of Arizona, the Algonquin, the Huron of the Northeast, the Lakota, the Arikara, the... Uh, uh, who else up there? Trying to think of the name of the tribe, forgive me, um, in Montana. Uh, but we have been doing mission work for 34 years to native people. Then it dawned on us, Jesus died for everybody. How many of you believe that? So by deductive reasoning, how many of you know if he died for Indians? Well, he died for cowboys too. Right? Do I have any cowboys here? Y'all remember that old hymn, No, Not One? Somebody raise your hand just to be nice. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that. No boots, but you're close enough. That's right. You're willing. I can work with that if you're willing. I could. Can you give me a... Yeah! There you go. Okay. Uh, work from the back of the throat. But that's fine. All right. Uh, so we believe Jesus died for everybody. So my wife sings, preaches, does entire services, literally sitting on a horse. I'm talking about a for real 1,300-pound quarter horse. And so she has found a way to use her love, horses, in ministry. And so now for 20 years, she's had an outreach using horses to teach the gospel. One of the things she has a tremendous gift at is drawing the parallel, I call them mirror truths, between the relationship of horse and rider and God and man. It is remarkable, the parallels. How many of you here like horses? Y'all aware Jesus is coming back on one? <laughs> How many of you here like horses now? Right. I thought that would increase the participation. Well, you know, even if you've never ridden a horse and don't know anything about him, I'm using the word promise here. I promise what she does will bless you because as she shows you and helps you to understand horses and the language of equus, that is the way horses relate to one another. If you want a good horse, you can't expect him to learn English. You need to learn equus. You learn his language. And so she has a tremendous gift of showing you that parallel as to God's relationship with us. So I'm going to give you a dispensation right now. Look at your neighbor and say, he's going to give us a dispensation. Now, some of you are not sure what that is. This is my dispensation way for everybody here. What I, what I mean by that is, I want you to take out your cell phone. Normally, if you did that in church, you know what church people would say. Hail. But I'm not going to do that. You can take your cell phone out. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to Google and just type in Susan Clout Horse Ministry. K-L-A-U-D-T. Susan Clout, K-L-A-U-D-T, Susan Clout Horse Ministry. When you do that, that should come up. It's actually susanclouthorseministry.org, but if you type that in, it should pull it up for you. Just click on it, and that's her website. If you pull about halfway down that website, you'll see a little thing that says, Contact Us. You see that? If you put your email address there, just type in your email address, you'll start getting her newsletter. It comes out twice a month. I promise it'll be a blessing to you. It's totally free. We'll never ask you for anything. It's a tremendous gift that she has of teaching you the mirror truths between horse and rider and God and man. So take time to do that right now and then put your cell phone up.
I just wanted to give you the opportunity to do that. There's no time like the present. K-L-A-U-D-T, if you're trying to remember what I said, how to spell that crazy last name of ours. Um, got a good word for you today, and I kind of foreshadowed what I'm going to minister on today. I, I want to address this deal of tomorrow being better than today. Of next month being better than this month. Next year being better. How many of you are fully embraced and you would like for next year to be better than this year? Or this year maybe is a better way to say it than last year. I, I, I do. So... What do we have to do? On a pragmatic level, what are you going to need to do for this year to be better than last year? Because clearly, if you don't change anything, you know, odds are you're just, you know, you're hoping and wishing. How many of you know that's not a, a plan for your life? Well, I hope so. I wish so. I mean, that ain't going to get it done. So what is it going to take? What are you going to need to do for tomorrow to be better, for next month, next year to be better? How many of you here know there's some people you ask them, are you happy? You ever ask somebody how they're doing and they tell you? You know, you're like, wait, wait a minute, that's a breach of etiquette there because really all that's supposed to happen is I ask you how you're doing, you say fine and ask me and I say fine and we go on and, and, and it's covered. But there are some people when you ask them how you're doing, they'll tell you, you know, and, and begin to unload, you know, and I know you haven't heard the worst of it. I mean, they just tell you every negative thing in their life. And you tell by look at them and you ask them, well, are you happy? And they're like, well, do do the math. I'm married to him. So what do you think? And a lot of people give you the idea and infer that if it just wasn't for their mate, they were, I was happy until I met you. That, you know, if it just wasn't for him, if it just wasn't for her, they could be happy. Other people, it's not who they're married to that's the problem. It's their job. You know, if I just had a job where I was appreciated, that I was paid what I was worth, I have talent, I have ability, I've got gifting, I, I'm tired of debt. If I just stick, if I, I want to be appreciated, people feel like if it wasn't for their job, they could be happy. Other people, it's not their mate, it's not their job, it's their house. They are so tired of living in the land of broken. If it wasn't for bungee cords and duct tape, our house would fall in. If I just had a better house, then I would be happy. Other people, it's not their mate, it's not their house, it's not their job, it's their car. Their mantra is, every car I get tears up. And I'm so tired of rolling the window down. I mean, you know, if you're rolling your window down, I bet you are tired. You, know, you need a new car. I'm so tired of rolling the window down and reaching to the outside door handle just so I can get out. Admittedly, a, no, a newer car would be nice and a better job that paid you more would be nice. But how many of you know, it's only going to be a matter of time before you're fussing about them things too. You don't need another husband. You'll complain about him like the other two. So if you want your life to be better, I'm not talking about any of y'all. I'm just speaking in general terms, the people watching. Uh, so can we agree that if things in your life need to improve, it's really not everything around you that needs to change. Well, it's you, right? Everybody in this side of the room, let me hear you say, I know I need to change. Now, I will let you ladies, the married women here, if you want to take your phone out and video him saying that, I'm going to let you do that because I know you want to capture that on video. You, know, you said it. Say it again. Everybody in the room say it. Or this side. I know I need to change. Let me hear y'all say it. How about the sound booth? Everybody in the room? 
We do. If you want tomorrow to be better, it's not everything around us. How many of you know God doesn't do His work from the outside in? Typically, He does His work from the inside out. Your life improves because you do. And so, what then? to me, that begs the question, if I need to change, well, what part of me needs to change? Put up Genesis 1.26 if you could. Genesis 1.26 is for me such a... I believe this is one of the most important Scriptures in the entire Bible for such an asundry reason. I could preach on this verse for a week. Y'all be delighted to know I'm not going to. But I'm just going to make one point. It says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image and our likeness. That's all we're going to look at in this verse. How long have you been preaching, brother? 28 years? Uh... I'm sure like me, there's still things you read that you go, what? I'm talking about in the Bible. There's still stuff that I'm going, just weird. Because how many of you know God's ways are not ours? The Scripture says your carnal mind is enmity with God. Right? The carnal mind is enmity with God. What does enmity mean? E-N-M-I-T-Y, enmity. It's not an enemy. Because here's the deal. How many of you know enemies come and go? Right? Friends come and go. I mean, the person that was your best friend in seventh grade may have run off with your husband. Or the person who was your bitter enemy in seventh grade was your bridesmaid. Enemies come and go. Enmity never changes. Everybody look at me. The Bible says the carnal mind is enmity with God. Is it subject to the laws of God? Neither can be. And so when we put that verse back up, when we see that verse and it says, we're created in the image of God, let us be made in His image and our likeness. There's a part of me, every time I read this, I think that's a little weird. Now let me ask you, what's a little weird about what God said in those first six, eight words? Let us make mankind in our image. Yeah, He's speaking in the plural. Seriously, if the person in the cubicle next to you spoke in the plural every day, you'd be calling HR. Y'all said if I see something, say something. He's doing it again. I'm certain he's going to start shooting here in a minute. If you heard somebody always spoke in the plural, you'd be concerned. But how many of you know God don't have issues? Because He is plural. We just sang a song that He is a trinity. He is, in fact, a trinity. He's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So if you read this verse and we realize we're made in His image and His likeness, how many of you know because He's a trinity, we're a trinity? Let me hear you all say, He's a trinity. Let me hear you all say, I'm a trinity. That's right. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Your spirit, soul, and body. Say it like this. I am a spirit. I have a soul. And I live in a body. Right. So, I'm assuming if you're in church on a Sunday morning, perhaps an incorrect assumption to make, but I'm assuming if you're here, you're born again. So, let me ask you, when you got born again, your spirit, soul, and body, how many of you here got a new brain when you got born again? The fact that you're thinking about it <laughs> is living proof that you did not. Right? You didn't get a new brain when you got born again. How many of you were bummed about that? Right? So, let me ask you, why didn't you get a new brain when you got born again? Why didn't God change your mind when you got born again? You ever thought about it? Well, the answer is pretty apparent. God didn't change your mind because, frankly, you can. Did I get an amen from all the estrogen in the room? Come on, ladies, y'all know that's your spiritual gift. 
Isn't it? Come on. How many married men do I have here? If you're a brother in the struggle, raise your hand. You know. I'll just tell you a little vignette from my life. If I ever catch my wife like standing in a room in our house, if she's like standing and looking at anything for long, she'll start tapping her toe. I know immediately I need to evacuate. (laughs) Because sure enough, I'm moments away from the door and I hear, Kim, Kim, I know you hear me. Come in here. So I come in there, hanging my head like Tom Dooley. And I said, what? And she goes, well, come here. I was thinking about this wall. I said, that's why I was trying to get away. <laughs> How many of you married men know if she starts thinking, you're going to have to do stuff? <laughs> and so she says, I was thinking about this wall. And I said, what, what were you thinking, baby? She says, I think we need to paint this wall. I want us to paint this wall. Now, in 44 years... Us has never painted anything. (laughs) No, not once. One of us paints. The other one just says things like, what happened here? What, 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 were you distracted? What happened up here? And so she says, I want us to paint this wall. And so I have learned I need to paint it. And so I paint it. And, And not six months pass. How many of you guys here know where the squeaky places are in the floor at your house? Come on now. If you don't, you're making a rookie mistake. You have to know where the noisy places are and avoid those so you can get out without being detected. You know, don't you, brother? Yes, he knows. She knows he knows too. That's the problem. And so I hear her say, Kim, Kim. She says, I saw you in there. Come in here. So I come in and I go, what is it? She goes, I'm thinking about this wall. I said, what is it? She goes, I want us to paint this wall. I said, baby, I just painted that for you. And then she looks at me and puts her hands on her hips and says, well, I've changed my mind. (laughs) Now, how many of you guys know, once that has been stated, and men have been, we've been working on this for generations. We have men with test tubes and all kinds of machinery trying to find a way to get around. I've changed my mind, but there is no way. And so as a consequence now, do you know how often I change my mind? Every time she does. That's right. This is why he admires you. You're well trained. Y'all didn't hear him, but he said every time she does. That's right. And to be, I, you know, it's not like I changed my mind in the early days. In the early days, I was like, well, just because you change your mind, I don't have to. That's swimming upstream. <laughs> you ever see anybody rent an inner tube to swim upstream? No, they rent inner tubes to go with the flow. And so I have learned to do that. So I've learned if she changes her mind, then I need to. And frankly, that's why God didn't change your mind, because you can't. Right? So... We said there's three parts to us, spirit, soul, and body. If you didn't change your mind, how many of you here got a new body when you got born again? How many of you are more bummed about the body deal than the brain deal? You know, this body's taking me as far as it could here if we just made it exchange. You know, the Bible says we get to heaven, we'll have a new body, right? But why didn't God change your body? Did you ever think about that? Go ahead and say it. You say, yeah, because you can. 
Yeah, and you're going, really? I've been married to a blonde, a brunette, and a redhead. <laughs> Sometimes she's all three at once, too, y'all. So if y'all tell her any of this, I'll deny it. And so God doesn't change our body because we can. How many of you know today if you have a credit card, you can add to your body? Come on, y'all have watched Discovery Channel. You know, you can add to your body, you can subtract. If you've got a big enough credit card or a big enough line of credit, you can have both things done at once. And y'all been in places where somebody walks in the room and all the women go, she's at work. <laughs> so God doesn't change our body and He doesn't change our brain because we can. To which I say, is that in the Bible? Let me all say, is that in the Bible? Come on, say it like your brother-in-law would. Where is that in the Bible? Well, it's in Romans 12, 1 and 2. I thought you'd never ask. Let's look at Romans 12, 1 and 2. He's very clear about it in Romans 12, 1 and 2. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, in view of God's mercy, that you present your what? Bodies as a what? A living sacrifice, which is your reasonable worship, which is wholly acceptable unto the God. And as you see here, he says, uh, to present your body as a living sacrifice. Just stay on verse 1. Did you present your body as a living sacrifice? How many of you know that's kind of a contradiction of terms, isn't it? Those seem to be mutually exclusive terms. Living sacrifice. Because what? how do you typically think of a sacrifice? Something dead. And yet he's saying you need to present your body as a living sacrifice. So in other words, how many of you know you need to put to death the deeds of your body if you want tomorrow to be better? Come on now, let's just be real. Don't be church people for a minute. Let's just be real people. You're going to have to put to death the deeds of your body if you want tomorrow to be better. If you want next month to be better. Amen? And then verse 2, now put up verse 2. He says, and don't conform to the patterns of the women on the view, but be ye... I'm sorry. It says, don't conform to the patterns of the world. How many of you know the same thing? I said earlier, if you heard what he said and you say what he said, you'll get what he said. How many of you know, if you think like the world, you'll talk like the world, and then you'll get what they get? Amen? You know, you can't look to NBC, ABC, CBS, CNN, or the women on The View, or anybody else to tell you the truth, because how many of you know, they've never met him. And they can't take you somewhere they've never been. They can't give you a drink of something they've never had. So don't look to those people for your understanding. And that's why he says, don't conform to the patterns of the world, but be ye what? Does it say transitioned? See, the world always offers a perverse exchange for God's plan. You can get all the hormones injected you want. You can have all the doctors with scaffolds that you want. They may transition you. But only God can transform you. And he says that you and I are to be transformed by the what? The renewing of your mind. So ladies, this is your chance. Everybody in the room, in fact, put your hand on your hip. Say it. I've changed my mind. That's what you have to do if you want tomorrow to be better. This brings me to my point. If you want tomorrow to be better, if you want next month to be better, if you want next year to be better, you're going to have to elevate your level of thinking. Increase your expectations. Get a more qualitative line of excellence going through your brain. Jesus taught on this in Matthew 12, verse 33. You can turn there if you'd like. Matthew 12, verse 33. 
If you don't have your Bible, that's fine. We've got the verse and it's going to be up here. We're going to go verse by verse, one at a time. Matthew 12, verse 33. Now, as somebody who studies the Word and as a student of the Word, I like to study every word of Scripture. How many of you here have Strong's Exhaustive Concordance? Vine's Expository Dictionary of Greek. All right. If you're like me, you're on your second or third copy. Man, I got it all sitting out on my desk and I've got it all here. I know today people are using the internet, not me, man. I got all the books out there. I just like feeling it in my hands and fumbling through the pages. And so if you look here at Romans 12 verse, or excuse me, Matthew 12 verse 33, when I say that words are important, how many of you know if you hear one word, it makes you think of another word? Have you noticed that? So in Matthew 12, verse 33, uh, we want to go King James. There you go. Matthew 12, verse 33, but King James. I want you to note what the first word is there. I want you to note what the first word is. What is the first word? Either. either. How many of you here, what do you think of when you hear the word either? Who said it over here? Cowboy said it. Choice. That's, I don't know your name, brother, but that's who you are for this. For the rest of the day, anyhow, shorts or no shorts, you are a cowboy today, brother. He said choice. It's true. Everybody do this. If you don't do this, you're out of the will of God. I just met you, sweetheart, but you're going to have to do it. Thank you very much. All right. Uh, she's like, I'm on the back row. I'm untouchable. Not with me. Everybody do this. Either. How many of you know if you hear the word either, it means choice, Right? Either. And then what's the second word? Make. So in other words, you have a choice, make it. Who, who's speaking here? It's Jesus. That's why it's in red in your Bible. Jesus said, either make the tree good and his fruit will be good, or make the tree corrupt and his fruit will be corrupt. For a tree is known by its fruit. Now let's just, let me hear y'all say, break it down. Break it down. Let's look at this. First word is either. So, how many of you know Jesus would teach in parables, word pictures? Rarely would He say exactly what He meant the first time He said it. He usually gave you a word picture that caused you to have to think. And then a lot of times the Bible says He looked at him, He could tell they weren't getting it. And so He'd, he'd come in the next day, and then eventually He'd just kind of unfold and say, well, here's what I'm really saying. And this is one of those instances. Because Jesus begins talking about trees. But how many of you know He wasn't there to teach horticulture? He wasn't there to talk about arborists. He was there to talk about people. But he uses trees as his image. And he says, either make the tree good. What does either mean? Choice. Because how many of you know, in order to call a tree good or bad, you would have to make it that way because how many of you know all trees are good? Right? Is that in the Bible? Well, yeah, because in Genesis 1 he told uh, and 2, he told... You know, Adam and Eve, I'm going to give you some trees that bear seed you can eat, some trees that'll bear fruit you can eat, but how many of you know trees that don't bear seed and don't bear fruit, they're still good trees, right? And I'll prove it to you. How many of you here like to breathe? That's one thing I think we can all embrace. And how many of you know oxygen don't come in bottles? Where does oxygen come from? Trees. Let me hear y'all say, Shazam. I mean, it's incredible that what we exhale, carbon dioxide, which is literally toxic to us, that's why if you put a bag over your head, you can only breathe and exhale a few times and you'll die because what you exhale out of your lungs is used up 
and all the value that your body could take from it has been done, what you exhale is toxic to you. Trees take that, and with the aid of the sun through something called photosynthesis, they literally return that to us as pure oxygen. Say it again. Shazam! So every tree is good. Whether it bears a seed or a fruit you can eat, no, it's still good. And yet Jesus said trees could be good or bad. How is it trees could be good or bad? First two words, tell you the story. What are they? You have to make them good. You have to make them bad. For a tree to be good, in his analogy here, you choose to make it good. And if you make the tree good, what will be the consequence? His fruit will be good. Or if you make the tree bad, what will be the consequence? And he says, for the tree is known by its fruit. How many of you here can look at a tree and tell what kind it is? I'm impressed. I mean, if it's an apple tree and there's apples, I'm down with that. That's an apple tree. You know, or cherries or pecans, oranges, peaches. It gets a little nebulous after that for me. And were you to say, well, what kind of tree is that? I might say, a big one. Yeah. <laughs> and that would be my ability to observe. So trees are known by their fruit, but the fact is every tree produces a fruit we can value, and that's oxygen. Then look at the next verse, verse 34. Jesus said, he calls them snakes. You generation of vipers. How can you be evil, say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now, if you just looked at these two verses, A, B, back to back, verse 33, we're talking about trees and their fruit being good or bad. Now verse 34, he's calling these people evil snakes. You would think he's changed subject matter. But in fact, how many of you know there's perfect symmetry here? Because in the same way you can recognize a tree by the fruit it bears, how many of you know, as the last line points out, you can recognize where somebody's heart is by what comes out of their mouth? Say this to me, my mouth bears fruit. I teach people this way. Your mouth advertises the condition of your heart. Your mouth advertises the condition of your heart. Now, lots of times we don't like people to know what we're thinking. Imagine if everybody in this room right now knew what you were thinking. Whoever's sitting next to you might get up. I don't even know who you are anymore. <laughs> if they knew everything you were thinking. But how many of you know, if you spend enough time with people, eventually, they'll tell you what they're thinking. They may not want to. They don't intend to. They want to keep it in. But you let the right set of circumstances come. You let the heat get turned up hard enough in their life. You let the pressure come. And how many of you know eventually? Pressure, 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 pressure. Stuff comes out and people are like, I don't know where that came from. <laughs> You're thinking, why would you say that? Well, you know why? Because she was thinking it. And not for the first time. She's been thinking that for some time. How many of you men, married men here have ever had your wife look at you and you can tell she's thinking, my father was right about you? <laughs> she may think it, but if she says it, that's out. And that's sort of what Jesus is saying here. That it's out of the overflow of the heart that your mouth speaks. So your mouth advertises what's going on in your heart. We kind of keep it secret. We try to keep it secret. We don't want people to know what we're thinking. But if the circumstances are sufficient, it comes out. Say it again. My mouth bears fruit. That's why what you say is important. 
Your mouth bear the fruit for your life. Amen? Your mouth will determine if tomorrow is going to be better. Your mouth will determine if next month will be better. Your mouth will determine if this year will be better than next year. I mean, the Lord said He made a promise to Abraham and said, you'll be the head, not the tail, above and ever beneath. You'll be a lender, not a borrower. Everything you touch will prosper. Everywhere you put your feet. How many of you know God invented borders? People act like that's a controversial thing in America. Like, oh, borders. How many of you know God said? His literal word to Abraham was, everywhere you put your feet, that will be your border. Say it again, Shazam. But how many of you know, even though God said that, if what you say is, we're going under. You wrote a check for how much? You debited how much? I hope you're satisfied. Our life's over now. You can just take your hand off the wheel. There's no point steering. Just press the accelerator. Our life's over. A lot of people have that attitude, and it's what comes out of their mouth. And even though God said you'll be a lender, not a borrower, your mouth can rob you of your destiny. How many of you know Isaiah 53 says we were healed by His stripes? How many of you know healing don't happen tomorrow? Right? Healing happened 2,000 years ago. But how many of you know if all that comes out of your mouth is, I'm about to die? I'm telling you. You know, Daddy died of a heart attack. And so did my grandfather. Give me that calendar. I need to pencil mine in. When am I going to have mine? No. Don't say that. I mean, you know, Jesus came to break every curse. Yeah. Amen? Genetic curses. Yes. All of it. You speak over yourself. Remember, I heard what he said. I like what he said. I believe what he said. What he says, that's what I say. You need to say what he says. Because if you don't, if you say what they say, you'll get what they said you'll get. But if you say what he says, you'll get what he said you'll get. Amen? Wave your hand and say, I know that's right. So now in verse 35, the next verse, he really gets down to what he's talking about. He says, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. So let's look at the first three words, a good man. And I don't want you to answer, I just want you to think. Are people born inherently good? Are people born inherently bad? Well, if you listen to our popular culture of today, they would have you to believe that you're good or bad and it's a consequence and a function of your genetics. You know, for years we've been telling people, don't judge people by the, by the cover. Don't look at people and make a judgment. How many of you here have ever made that mistake? Come on, don't compound it by lying in church. How many of you here ever looked at somebody and made a judgment call on them just entirely based on appearance? And we had to be taught. We have to be trained. That's the carnal mind. The carnal mind does that. It's enmity with God. And so we're to look at people the way He does. He looks at everybody and sees the best possible them because He looks at them through the blood of Jesus. And so that's the way we should see Him as well. Amen? However, He says a good man. People aren't born inherently good or bad, but people out there want you to think that. People out there want you to think on how much pigment they have in their skin determines if you're good or bad. Come on, y'all. You hear it too. People out there want you to think what gender you are. By the way, y'all are aware there's a difference, right? I don't know how remedial I need to be here 
But how many of you know, you get out these walls, how many of you know being a man is a moving target? Right? I mean, today people are, they're just not sure. It's, it's day to day. You have to give people, here's a heads up, these are my pronouns. How many of you know that's crazy? That's crazy. The Scripture says God made them male or female. People act like today you don't know. Yeah, you can. Do a DNA test. I don't care how many scaffolds they've had or how much stuff they've had cut off or added, it doesn't change their DNA. And they don't have to be alive. They could be dead 50 years. Dig them up, do a DNA test. That's a man, that's a woman. And let's be real. How many of y'all remember the time? Remember, for a minute here, we're not going to be church people. How many of y'all remember the first time you realized, well, there's a difference. Come on, y'all. Sit, y'all, come on. How many of y'all went, golly, there is a difference. Let me just ask this. A married man, raise your hand again. How many of y'all glad your wife don't look like you? Yes. But people out there would have you to believe there's no difference. That's a lie. These are the same people that want you to think, how many of you know the body is incredible? He made them male and female. But how many of you know, regardless of whether you're male or female, I believe there's 262 bones in the human body. And did you know when we're born, anybody here in the medical profession? Isn't it 262? 260, sorry. Glad I asked. 266? 206, thank you. I, I was speaking evangelistically. I'm sorry, 206. 206. Further confirmed for me, when we're born, we have more than that. Some of you are going, well, where do they go? <laughs> Daddy's changing that diaper. Honey, there's bones in here again. No, no. <laughs> I'm sorry. They'll take that off. That won't be on this. They fuse. They fuse, don't they? What do you do? Are you a nurse? Doctor, you're a nurse. So they fuse. As we grow, bones fuse together. And as an adult, we have 206. Uh, I was reading a thing the other day. The average human being has 970 miles of blood vessels. How I many of you know 970 feet would be impressive? Can you imagine if you could just unzip and, you know, 970? But it's 900, and it's like from here to Michigan. But there are people out there, same ones that want you to think there's no difference in a man and a woman. They're the same ones that want you to think that all that came from a bang. And you're like, but I have 970 miles. Well, it's a big bang. <laughs> That's the best they got. I mean, if these are the people who brought you the Big Bang, you can know. You don't want to listen to what they had to say. God has a plan and a purpose for everything about your life, and He has from the beginning. And so He says, look, people aren't good because of how their color is, of their skin. They're not good because of their gender, but they're good because of either make. Remember in verse 33, he really explained what he's going to be talking about is choice. A tree is good or bad because of how you choose to make it. In the same way, a man is good, not because who his mom and daddy are. You just come from bad seed. No. He's good or bad because of choice. 
Everyone, everybody in this room, look at me. Let our eyes meet. Every one of you in this room, if you got up today with a smile on your face and come walking in here, got, I mean, as soon as you hit the floor, you just kind of got a bounce in your step. Or if you got up, and have you, have you noticed this? If you look at people, you can tell if they think about themselves a lot by their posture. So I found the more people think about themselves, the worse their posture gets. Oh, God. Oh, Lord. Eventually. Oh, my mother-in-law's coming over today. God. <laughs> if you think about yourself all the time, you'll be unhappy. Right? But how many of you know, if you think about Him, you'll have a smile on your face. And so today you either got up with a smile on your face and a bounce in your step because of the choices you've made. Or you got up today hanging your head. First song I learned on guitar. Don't hang your head, Tom Dooley. You got up and you're Tom Dooley. You did a 23 and me and it goes back to Eeyore. Oh, Lord. They just sent you a report, 23 and me, and there's no genetics or nothing. It's just a picture of a donkey. Oh, Lord. What's going to tear up now? How I many of you know all that is a function of your choices? Wave a hand so I know that's right. Your life is where it is today because of the choices you've made. It's not other people's fault. And that's why when he said, when, when man said, if you leave here today and you're not happy, I inserted, it's your own fault. Let's be real. Look at me and say, be real, Cam. Be real. Let's be real. Everyone, how many of you here, let me just use your own life as an example. How many of you here have ever been hurt? How many of you been hurt either physically or emotionally or both so bad it made you cry? Right? How many of you here have ever been hurt by, so bad by somebody it could have changed, could have changed the direction of your life? Raise your hand. That's significant. And virtually everybody in here has your hand up. Now, Similarly, how many of you here have ever hurt somebody bad enough to make them cry? Raise your hand. How many of you here have ever hurt somebody that could have changed the direction of their life? Raise your hand. Almost everybody in here. rest of you still liars. <laughs> we have the ability to impact people's lives by what we do and what they've done to us. But let's just say... For those of you and I who've been hurt, we've all been victimized. Room this big, there's somebody here as a child that was abused. That's just the functional truth. If you look at numbers, you get this many adults together. Somebody here in this room was abused as a child, probably sexually. Somebody here was maybe sexually and physically and emotionally, maybe all three. I don't think there's anything worse that could happen to you in life than to be a child and to be physically, sexually, and emotionally abused. And yet, that happened to people in here, and, and it's the same way in any population group you go to. Anywhere in the world, it happens. Sin is sin. But how many of you understand it isn't whether or not you have been hurt or victimized? We all raised our hand and said, we all have. We all raised our hand and said, we've done that to other people. It is not the event that defines you. It's the choice you make of how to respond to it that will define you. Everybody in here has been hurt. We've all been done wrong. Varying degrees, I admit. I in no means, don't you think in any way, shape, or form, I am you know, lessening the significance of sexual abuse. I said at the outset, nothing worse. 
And thank the Lord if that didn't happen to you. But you've been hurt nonetheless. There are people who have had far less done to them, but allowed what was done to them to determine their future. And all you had to do is spend some time with them, and they make that abundantly clear. They're angry. They're upset. Somebody owes me an apology. And they're angry, and you talk to them, and they start telling, did I ever tell you about my wife? Well, Bob, you have. Well, I'm going to tell you again. He tells you what all she did, and you say, well, Bob, when was that? Well, it was 82. You know, it's 41 years ago, and it's still impacting his life today. Meanwhile, do you know what she's doing while he's telling you that story? She's shoe shopping. She's doing buy one, get one. She's making the greatest sales she's ever made on shoes. She hadn't thought about him in 50 years because she didn't think about him the nine years before she divorced him. But he's still thinking about her. What she did to him is still robbing him today. And I'm just being real with you. There's somebody in this room. That may be your potential life story. And so the deal isn't what was done to you. We've all had bad things done. You know what? You're going to have more things done to you. This is, you breathe long enough, you're going to have other tragedies. Heartbreak. Somebody's going to look at you and say, I don't love you anymore. Or, you know, I'm sorry we had to let you go. We're downsizing. I'm sorry to tell you, you've got cancer. There's all kinds of negative things. You're in ministry 44 years like I am. You wouldn't believe some of the stuff people have been told that I meet. There's more trouble coming. But what he said was, you'll either be good or bad in how you respond to it. Look at this. By what you treasure. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringing forth good things. The evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart. Remember I said a while ago, you hid one word, you hear another word? You hear either, you think a choice. When you hear the word treasure, don't holler it out, just raise your hand. If you hear the word treasure, what do you think of? Anybody? What did you say? Value. Okay. Anybody else? Who said gold? True. Excellent. Cowboy, you got an answer? Oh, yeah, he said what you were going to say. That's right. He took your answer. That's the way life is sometimes. Diamonds. Well, thank you, Estrogen. That's right. Diamonds. Diamonds and gold. He's married, so clearly he's thinking of gold. That's right. She's saying, that's right, baby. You tell him. Go. Yeah, great value. I'll just be honest with you, and this may not come as a shock to you, but all of y'all are more spiritual than me. Because you know what I think of when I hear the word treasure? Pirates! <laughs> I'm just being real with you. I hear pirates. I hear hearty heart. I see a patch and a peg leg. Hearty heart. Let me hear all the men in here go, hearty heart. Yeah. See? Y'all weren't far off. You came. Ladies, let me hear your hearty heart. <laughs> yeah, I think of pirates. And here's why. Just so you don't think I'm crazy. I think of pirates. I said, when you hear the word treasure. How many of you know anytime you hear about treasure, it somehow goes back to pirates. Because everybody's trying to find the pirate's treasure. And what do they want? They want the map that tells them where the treasure is what? Buried. How many of y'all connected them dots with me? 
I'm a wordsmith. That's my job. I make a living with my mouth. So my responsibility to you is to help you to move along here. When he says, out of the good treasure. A man is good because of what he treasures. What he treasures in his heart. Look what it says. A good man out of a good treasure forth, bring it forth. How many of you, you can't bring, you can't bring a deposit out. Excuse me, you can't bring out a withdrawal unless you've made a deposit. The good man is good because of what he treasures. How do you treasure? Do you remember singing that song we sang just a while ago where it referred to Mary? And it said that Mary heard the word The Bible, if you know, when the angels appeared to her and told her, you'll be conceiving by the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that Mary treasured these things. Where did she treasure them? Where does the Bible say she treasured them? Where did Jesus say they treasure them? Where does any treasure in a human being go? Your heart. How do you treasure? The Bible says she treasured. She thought. You want to know how to treasure? Everybody take your right hand. Show me you have one. Good. Now take your right hand and place it on your right jaw. Now turn your head to about a 40 degree angle. And go, hmm, that's how you treasure. Not complicated, is it? Not much in life is. What you think determines if you're good or bad. Not your skin color. Not your gender. You're one of them white caustic males, aren't you? No, no such thing. No such thing. That's some of the trash the world gives you. How many know the world has chosen the ugly over the beautiful? God gave us a beautiful plan for life. They've rejected that and choose the perverse. God gave us the perfect plan of male and female. Not just of mankind, but everything. But they have rejected that and chose the perverse. They pervert everything. They pervert the beautiful into something ugly. And now they want to pervert all your children. They want to get them in the schools and teach them all types of perversion and call it education. They're not good or bad because of how they vote. They're not good or bad because of their skin color. They're not good or bad because of what what sex they are. They're good or bad because they chose to be. Boy, people don't want to talk about that today. They all want to walk in their own truth. How many of you have heard that? I'm just walking in my own truth. I just have to be real to my truth. Which is code for, I'm fully deceived. (laughs) You know, the Bible says that in the last days, the very elect will be deceived. Some of them have been practicing for years now. (laughs) They have refined being deceived and made it an art form. Oh, there's no difference in I'm wearing a woman's bathing suit. I must be a woman. Goofy. Most of what they come up with is goofy. If you choose ugly over beautiful, come on, y'all. If you choose perverse over perfect, come on, y'all. That's what they do. It's what they treasure. And so when the right set of circumstances come forth, The perverse, or as the Lord said, the evil is all that comes out. But if you sit and treasure the good things, Paul said, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, if it's of a good report, think on those things. 
cast down the vain imaginations. Take, cap, take captive the thoughts that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. Because remember, your carnal mind is enmity with God. Do you realize that means you can be born again 50 years and your mind is just as capable of thinking a wrong thought right now as it ever was? Because it's carnal. The carnal mind rejects everything. That's why you have to transform your mind. How? Through the Word. Through what you treasure. How many of you here enjoy waiting for a refill on your beverage at a restaurant? Just change of thought here for a second. It occurs to me, I hate, I'm using the word hate here, I hate waiting. And so what I do is when my glass gets about down to a quarter, I push it to the end of the table. And then through all the telepathy I can muster every time anyone who works there, it could be a busboy, I'm going. I mean, not physically, but telepathically, I'm going. Until eventually one of them goes, would you like a refill? And I'm like, I ordered the 50-gallon drum with the IV drip. Yes. <laughs> Early and often, I want a refill. And because I hate waiting on refills, this is why I'm fully embraced and I'm okay with these places now. Some restaurants, all convenience stores, you purchase the cup, they let you choose how much ice. They let you choose which beverage. And how many of you kind of revert to being 12 again? You know, some of these, right? And how many of you here, as long as we're at it, how many of you here, knowing full well, you could go back and get a refill? How many of you, nonetheless, fill it to the absolute top? Thank you, cowboy. I appreciate that. Who else here does that? Don't lie in church. That's right. And you know why you do? Because you're a man. <laughs> you're a hunter-gatherer. Say it. I'm a man. Come on, guys. I'm a man. You do the grilling. You're the keeper of the flame at your house, and you're a hunter-gatherer. Of course you fill that glass to the top. And some of you ladies do as well. Don't look at me like I've got lobsters coming out of my ears. You do too. Now let me ask you, and here's where we separate. How many of you here fill it to the absolute top and then, in fact, rather than me ask you, I'm going to let you demonstrate your answer. On the count of three, I want all of you here to make the sound. Make the sound that you make to remedy the fact that you have filled this glass to the absolute top. The sound on three. One, two, three. See? Isn't it great to be in a church where everybody's agreed? Amen. Think how hard it is to get people to be in agreement. Everybody in here, you all knew. None of you were going, what sound is it? Google, what sound do you make? You all know inherently. You make that sound. Of course you do. And I did that fully for 55 years of my life. And then one day, I, how many of you here have ever filled it to the top? And if you look at it from the side, it's higher than the cup. Has anyone here made that observation? Do it next time and look. And then wonder, where's Isaac Newton to explain this? You fill it to the top. How many of you here take it and do the sip? You all admitted you do. I did for years. And then one day, I went and I heard, Kim! When my name has two syllables, I know. I've got to buy some time. So I go, what? You know what? Only this time, I really didn't. I said, what? And she goes, why would you do that? You dinosaur? She called me a dinosaur. I said, I really, I said, what are you talking about? She says, why would you make that sipping sound where everybody heard you? I said, oh, I filled it too full. 
She said, well, don't sip it like that. I said, well, what do you want me to do? She said, pour some out. No. I thought I was going to need counseling just when she said that. I was looking for a safe space right then. I was a snowflake for a minute. Counseling. Double my medication. What am I going to do? I can't pour any out. I said, there's thirsty people in India. I'm not pouring any of this out. However, I've been married long enough to know it's more valuable to be happy than to be right. And you're rarely both. And so I poured some out. How many of you here, however, have ever poured any out? What happens if you pour it out? It runs down the cup and down your, and now you drip all the way back to, I hope you're satisfied. And so I'm a guy, I can't help it. I'm going to fill it that full. And let me just parenthetically ask you this. How many of you here filled it that full, took a sip, and then filled it back up? Yes! Yes! You don't need testosterone replacement, brother. You got it right there. But I knew I have to fill it that full, but now I can't sip it. And I'm not pouring any out. But I am married to her, and I'm going to have to be happy for years to come. So I'm going to have to come up with an answer that we can both be satisfied with. And so here's what I came up with. <laughs> Come on, y'all. Come home with me. How many of y'all done that walk? Cowboy, you done it? Yeah. We've all made that walk right there. It is, it's all good. It's, full, it's all good. It's all good. It is all good until a family of seven with five kids under the age of two all get up at the same time. And then what happens? They bump into you. And what's inside spills out. And how many of you learned that when what's inside spills out, it doesn't always just get on you. It gets on all the people around you. When shaking comes, and we've already agreed, you've had some, we've all agreed there's more to come, but when the shaking comes in your life, what you've been treasuring is going to come out. And when it comes out, it's just going to come out on you. It's going to get down to everybody around you. And then they will decide if you're good or bad. Come on, y'all. We've got parents whose kids have decided if they're good or bad because of what their parents spilled on them. Come on, y'all. I'm just being real. That's good preaching right there. And we can't blame this on other people. These were our Either make. We're good or evil because of what we treasure. Not who our parents are. We're good or evil not because of the color of our skin or if we're an Alabama or Auburn person. How's that for a little gratuitous football humor there? Obviously, all humor is a risk, but I took the risk nonetheless. I've learned you people in Alabama are crazy about football. Can I tell you all a story? About 20 years ago, I was to preach in Tuscaloosa. And the church in Tuscaloosa called me. Well, it wasn't 20. How long has Saban been here? What year did he come? 06. I knew somebody knows. 17 years. <laughs> so, 06. I got, yeah, so that's a great day right there. We celebrate that to this day. So, it's 2006, and they called me and they said, Brother Kim, we've got a problem. I said, what is it? They said, well, it's Alabama's first game with Coach Saban. We cannot find you a hotel room. I said, really? They said, well, we did find one in Trustville. 
<laughs> which is like on the other side of the international date line. And I, and I said, book it. That's book it. And so I just got up early that morning and drove. Well, I got there and I knew, but I couldn't resist. So I got there and I said, uh, who did they play? Because they told me it was going to be 93,000 people there. I mean, everybody's excited. It's their first game. And so I said, as acting as if though I was ignorant, I said, well, who did they play? And they said, themselves. It was a spring game. It was themselves. That is when you're crazy over football. People are scalping tickets to watch Alabama play themselves. That's right. Standing in line, paying money to park to watch Alabama play themselves. So when I give you an Alabama football humor, y'all ought to laugh at yourselves. You're not good or bad because you're a Ford or Chevy guy or you're an Alabama or Auburn guy. You're good or bad because of what you treasure. Jesus said the good man is good and when the shaking comes in his life, it's proof to everybody that he's good because what comes out of him is good. It's all can come out because it's all he's treasured. But how many of you know if you hold on, if what you treasure is unforgiveness, I was done wrong. He, he abused me. Spousal abuse. How's that one? How many people you had here preach, talk about sexual abuse, spousal abuse, and the difference of men and women in one message? <laughs> spousal abuse. That's happened in this room, I bet you. Doesn't get any more real than that. How you deal with that? I'll tell you how I deal with that. I'll never forget. I'll never forget. How many of you have ever heard that? How many of you have ever said it? I mean, that's where you heard it. <laughs> uh, and that's why you believe it. Because <laughs> you said it. How many of y'all have learned that you may not believe what other people say? How many of y'all have a friend that if they're talking, you don't immediately, they're lying? I used to have a friend and I'd ask him, he'd go, believe me, I'll try. I knew right then he's lying. But how many of you have learned you may not believe anybody else, but you know who you do believe? Yeah, you. You believe you when you know you're lying. Yeah. Some people told the same lie for so long they think it's true. Well, I, what my ears heard. That's why what you say is so important. You believe you. You may not believe anybody else, but you believe you. And so if you want your life to be better, you have to understand, He may never ask you to forgive Him. I'll never forgive Him. He hasn't asked. He doesn't deserve it. Does anybody? Is there anybody here who can demand? I demand to be forgiven. You can't do that. So he, he may not deserve it. Nobody really does. And he may never ask. But how many of you know you're not forgiving him for him? Again, like we said, he may have done you wrong 17 years ago. You're still trying to get over today and he's catching the biggest bass he's ever caught today. He hadn't thought about you in years. So what are you going to have to do? Well, you're going to have to forgive him. You don't even have to tell him. How many of you know you're not forgiving him for him? You're forgiving him for you. When you forgive people who've done you wrong, that doesn't change the past. Nothing does. What it changes, brother, is your future. 
The minute you forgive that person who's done you wrong, you enlarge your future. The potential for your future is limitless when you no longer carry unforgiveness and bitterness. Don't treasure it any longer. Can we agree? It's robbed you of enough. Say it. It's robbed me of enough. It has. You can let it go. Because if your best days are ahead of you, if your happiest days are ahead of you, why would you ever look back? Wave your hands. I know that's right. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I love to laugh. Sometimes I've learned it helps the medicine to go down to put a little sugar on it. But I couldn't be any more real. Any more sincere. I love your pastors and I love you. And I want tomorrow to be better for you. I want next month to be better. I want it to be better for me. And I'm just saying, as we all agreed, I need to change. What needs to change is us. And what needs to change is what we treasure. Because if you treasure what he said, then when the shaking comes, as Pastor pointed out a while ago, you won't say what the Bible says. You'll say what the Bible says. You won't try to look it up. It'll come out of your heart. Because you've treasured it there. And then it does not matter what kind of shaking the devil brings your way. You'll realize I'm not a victim just because I was victimized. I will not let victimhood define my life. I've been washing the blood. I'm not a victim of anything. I'm a victor over everything. Every one of you in this room got up and left your house today as a victim or a victor. Every one of you in this room has listened to everything I've said in this message and you're interpreting it all based on your perspective and vision of yourself either as a victim or a victor. You perceive every event and everything that ever happens in you in your life based on whether you're a victor or a victim because you are clearly one or the other. Let me tell you what you will never be. Both. You'll never be both. Either make. We choose to be a victor through Him who conquered on our behalf. He said He makes us more than conquerors overcomers in this life. And that's my exhortation to you. You want next week to be better? You want next month to be better? Choose to believe what He said and don't think about anything else. The Scripture says He will keep you in perfect peace if you keep your mind stayed on Him. Think about Him. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, it don't matter whatever I minister on or wherever I'm at. I never preach. And never stop without giving an opportunity for choice. Today it's what I've preached on. So clearly, it would be goofy to preach on choice and not give someone here a choice. What am I talking about? If you're here and you've never asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, if you've never literally said to him, I admit I'm a sinner. I admit that I've made mistakes. I admit I've broke things in my life and I can't fix them. And I need you. I need you to come into my heart and do for me what I can't do for myself. I need you to help me to look forward 
Because I seem to be stuck looking backwards. If that's you, here's what's cool. You don't need a password. You don't need a pen. There's no lines to stand in. There's no forms to fill out. The Apostle Paul said, all you have to do is believe in your heart that He did it for you. And then confess it with your mouth. He will change you from the inside out. He'll change that one part of you you never could. He'll change your heart. And you'll walk out of these doors today different than the way you came in. You'll walk out with the opportunity to be a victor more than a conqueror and not simply a victim of circumstance. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you're here today and you're ready to admit, I need Jesus. I would like to exchange despair for hope. I'd like to exchange depression for joy. I'd like to exchange death for life. In fact, I'd like to just trade my life for His, even trade. Incredibly, that's what Jesus did. If that's you, I'm not going to make you stand up or come to the front. I'm going to pray for you right where you're seated. But if you're here today and you're ready to say, I want that. I want Jesus. Why don't you do something simple? Where you're seated, just raise your hand where I can see it. Do it now. Do it now and do it quick. Because I'm only going to wait a minute. You know if you're born again or not. It's not a mystery. You knew it when you got up. You knew it when you went to bed. You know it right now. If you've never asked Him in your heart, just raise your hand where I can see it. Is there anybody? Well, then that tells me you were the perfect audience for what I ministered on today. Because every one of you have had that one part of you changed your heart. Now, you can change what you treasure. Father, I just speak the blessing of Your Word over these people today. Father, I pray their minds will be quickened to this verse that it is the good man who out of the good treasure of his heart who can bring forth good things. Father, I pray every one of us in this room would choose the beautiful and reject the perverse. That we would choose your plan and reject the chaos of this culture. Father, that we would choose to follow you, the shepherd, instead of mindlessly following other sheep. Lord, that we would choose victory over life's victimhood. Lord, it is our desire, it is our hope, it is our confession to not only hear what you say, but to say what you say. To not only see what you did, but do what you did. Father, I just pray for everybody here that will meet next Saturday. Father, I pray the spirit of one-on-one -on -one evangelism would come on these people. Lord, I pray that You'd give them a backbone. For You said, You can bear no fruit apart from Me. But if you're hooked to Me, you'll produce fruit. Everything produces fruit after its own kind. Father, I pray that this church would have productivity in 2023 like never before. Father, we would reproduce in the body of Christ. Lord, that there'll be people who won't be able to just come walking in here at 10.30 and assume they'll get a seat. Father, they'll have to be here early in order to get a seat. They'll have to be here early to get a parking place. Father, I just speak that blessing of increase over this church. And Father, I know that happens through the simple act of one-on-one -on -one evangelism. Give them boldness, I pray, O oh God. Whatever efforts and plans and, and preparation they've made, add your blessing to it, I pray. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, it is done. Say it, it is done.
I appreciate your pastor. How many of you love your pastors? Amen. How many of you have ever met some people over your life and you thought, man, when you first met them, and then the more you got to know them, you're like, man. And then there's other people you meet that the more you're with them, the better you like them. If you can't like them, you got trouble. And, and, and so he's as crazy as I am. That's one of the things I like about him. But I, I'm saying this. They're gracious enough to host me here. They give me the opportunity to come. I know he protects you. He's not going to let just anybody come here. So I'm privileged that he comes. He will tell you every time I come here, I come the same way, an offering. In fact, people will tell you anywhere they host me. That's how I roll. Because 44 years ago when the Lord spoke to me that he'd called me, when he revealed that he'd actually had a plan for me from the time I was conceived. I mean, you know, that's how God works, right? The Lord said, before you phoned in your mother's womb, I knew you. And the Lord revealed to me, and this is after I'd made all these terrible mistakes. See, he couldn't tell me it before because it was on a need-to-know basis and I didn't need to know yet. But once I chose to follow him, he said, well, here's the deal. He said, uh, I've called you to serve me. And here's exactly what he said to me. And everywhere I go, I tell people what he said because it was so powerful. He said, don't ever tell them what you think. He said, tell them what I said. He said, what I said will change their lives. If you tell them what I said, I've done the best I could do today to do that. He said, however, if you tell them what I said, then I will speak to them and they will bless you. Lord told me, I'll never give you a hundred dollar bill. That's what my people are for. I'll never write you a check. That's what my people are for. Everybody put your hand up to your ear. All I'm asking, all I've ever asked, whatever he tells you, do it. Excellent. Excellent word. Wow. I want to read you few quick verses that you're familiar with, but I I got this about 30 minutes ago. Imagine the Lord ministering through someone and speaking to others about other things. You know, if you ever walked in the shoes of the one who ministers, just like if we ever walked in your shoes, we'd have a greater understanding. It would kind of fill in the gaps, wouldn't it? I don't know that I've ever used this verse but one time and uh, to receive an offering, but this is what he said. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 4 says, Wherefore he saith, when he ascended, so who, who are we talking about? Jesus. When he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and he gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, but what is it but that he first descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that descended is the same also that ascended up above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come into the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God and to a perfect man and to the measure of the statue of Christ, that we henceforth will be no more children tossed to and fro 
carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. The whole chapter is awesome, but uh, we understand that there, some would say, a, a five-fold office. Of course, I'm a pastor. Brother Kim is not a pastor, but he understands pastors very well. Matter of fact, I mean, I'll, he would never tell you this, but uh, he fills in for a lot of pastors a lot of times when they're out of town going on vacation because they trust him with the people. The other, one, way, one way that he understands this is because he worked staff ministry for a number of years in a very large ministry, so he's, there's nothing that would really surprise him or shock him. You can't, do, you, you can't drive on a bus all those years of your life and do tent revival seven days a week and not see things. Now, if I'm wrong, you just let me know, but there's three, there's three people in this room that I know of, and that would be uh, Brother Kim, that would be Pastor C and myself. Just, just to give, just to give you, this is what I heard, just to give you, you know, it just, it just helps us to see things. There's only three people that I know that in this room that derive their income on a volunteer basis. How many would like to go to work next week? And, and they would change the deal. It wouldn't be necessarily that I, for at least 40 hours or whatever hours that you work, this is what I, we will pay you per hour, but it will be left up to what they feel like. If they called it a love offering and you work for a boss that's not that loving, would you have, would you be concerned during the week? <laughs> and thought came to me a while ago and wise preacher said, if you were to have Brother Kim come to your house this week and ask him would he come and share whatever God gave him to bless you, and he willingly came to your house just to spend time with you today. How many of you, just because that's your heart and that's what you want to do, how many would clean the house the best you could? You'd, you'd present the best that you could before he came. If he was going to spend the night, he'd get the best room. You'd, you'd wash the sheets, you'd vacuum the carpets or clean the floors, you'd, you'd dust, you'd do everything. Then you would provide your best meal. Is that right? Is, is that kind of how you would do it? If you, if you invited him in to be your guest, is, is that what you do? Y'all talk to me a little bit. How many, if you had the means to do it, you, you'd feed him the best meal or would you just go get something real fast and just get him a Subway sandwich? And you may like Subway. I like Subway. But how many would put the best meal that you had? Why would you do that? Because what? You value him, and you value the message that he's going to bring. But the word that the God used by the Holy Ghost said, he said, this is, this is his word. He said, I'm sending you a gift, not a preacher, not a sermon. I'm sending you a gift. I've got to watch this for almost 30 years, and i got to watch the people who, how they respond to this. 
and we understand about the widow's mite. And if you, if you have a if you, if you have a dollar, that's all you have your name, and you put that dollar in, you maybe gave more than the person who gave a thousand, but could have gave up to ten thousand. So, I'm not trying to go there. The way I've always approached this, it may not be right, but the way I've always approached people who come, you know, whether they call and we uh, agree upon a meeting or I call them, is that this is my this is just my thing. Because I was in business way before I was in ministry, and I understand, uh, you know, what it takes to run a business. And I understand uh, whether it's small, medium size, or large, there's something called overhead, and there's something that's really important called cash flow. How many know what cash flow is? Well, how, if you don't, how many know when it's not flowing? <laughs> let, me explain, let me explain it a little bit better. Have you ever run out of money before you did month any time in your life? How many had a few more days left, <laughs> but there was now another check coming in? Okay, now you understand. And uh, and so you have people, you have three people in this room that trust God to go places and do what he told them to do, and they go there, they go there for what they call a love offering with no guarantee of what it would be. How many would like to work that way for the rest of your life based on what someone felt doing? So sometimes I think churches, whether they're small, medium size, or large, it's been it's been my and I heard this in uh, many, many traveling ministers that sometimes the small, medium churches blesses the people more than the large churches, because large churches sometimes give honorariums because they couldn't just let everyone who gave and that I mean they don't tell they don't tell their people that usually <laughs> they say this goes to brother blah, 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 right and then they give the they give that guest speaker because there's t- there's three thousand people in the room. Well, they don't, I hope that, I mean, I don't know what anyone does, but but I just know all these things. So they don't give the whole offering to the speaker, even though the people thought it went to the speaker. They give him an honorarium because they, they know that he's qualified to come and minister to the people, but they're not sure he knows how to handle that much money one time. So they help him with that by, you know, holding part of that, holding part of that back and then give him part of the honorarium. If you give part of the honorarium, then this no, no longer spells honor. It just it just goes to H O ho. So anyway, what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look inside, and we're going to thank God for the gift. Now I know what it takes to prepare a message like that, and I think He stands in at least two of these offices. One is evangelist, but the other is a teacher. Can you can you see the teaching gift? To take, to take a verse, to take a chapter of verses, and that's always been amazing. And it's a, it's a gift from God. But you think, I had no idea there was that much in those few words. And, and it helps sometimes to, you know, to take the truth and hear it and get the anesthesia of being able to do it with laughter. And that's another gift. But no more then I would ask someone to get in their car and drive from Cleveland, Tennessee to Alabama to spend the day at my house, and I would give them $10 and a sub sandwich. I hope we won't do that. And we've never done that before, uh, before, so I, I have no concern about that whatsoever. All I want to do is re- remind us that God sent to us today a gift. And I don't know if it works this way, and this was the one thing I meant to say. Always treat like the offering that I'm giving him 
would not be for him being here, but to send him to the next place. Because I'm hoping that where he went, he came before me, sent him here. That's called cash flow. But when someone sometimes who didn't do what they could have done or should have done, it interrupts cash flow, which I understand very well in business. Because there was times that I was doing jobs, three jobs back, you know, but I was taking, I was taking the money for this job, but I'm trying to still pay for two jobs behind me. That, that's no fun. That's no good. That's, that's called lack of cash flow. So how many think people could benefit from this message somewhere else? The, the way it was, the way it was presented to you today. And a lot of us said, you know, I know that, but my gosh, I, I mean, I, I just kind of let my f- thinking go kind of fuzzy on me. And it kind of sharpened us up. You, you know, you put your number two in there and it kind of just put a point on it. It says, I know this, but I've kind of let, you know, Hebrews said they, they knew it, but they let it slip. And it's and the other thing is, uh, you know, when we have people come and they're doing missionary work, you know, uh, that's so important. That's a whole nother type of ministry, but people have, they get committed to a cause and they, and, uh, and I want them to be committed to the cause and then they give. But when someone come teaches a lesson like this, uh, that changes their life, we're just like, well, you know, that was just church. And the missionary comes and shows 50 pictures and he, he leaves with multiply thousands and then someone else leaves with four or $500. I mean, I've never had a minister come here and left four or $500. I mean, I, I wouldn't do that. There's no way in the world if I had to hawk something in my house, I wouldn't do it. So we've always wanted to be this kind of church. It hasn't always happened, but I heard this from my very beginning. Before, the first year of my ministry, I was sitting in a large church, and I heard the pastor say years ago, he says, we want to be the kind of church where we're, where we're going to be a what we call a makeup church. That yes, uh, we're going to, we're going to bless this, but we're not going to do, there's not, we're not going to say there's 2000 in here. So if, if we all give $15 a piece, man, he's in good shape. It's not up for us to do math because that's not the way it all works anyway. Generally, I find out this 20% of the people make up 80% of the offering. It's, it's just the way it works. I mean, it's the 80, 20 rule all through the world. 20% of the people Make up 80% of the offer. That's, that's what happens. But I want all of us to have choice. I want all of us to have opportunity. And then what I'm trying not to do is raise the amount. If it does, that's wonderful because it'll all go there. I just want to take this message that's said today while we're still hearing it, saying don't do math with people and no more than if I had the ability to bring him to my house and feed him steak or run by Jackson and get him a hamburger, there's no way in the world that I would ask him to drive to my house to minister to me and feed him a, a, a ham sandwich and some chips and a soda if I had the ability to do more. So I have found out a lot of times, sometimes these ministers who live their life based on a vol, you know, just a, a love offering of what these, these, these people are going to decide, you know, what, what I'm going to, my living's going to be. There's only three people in this room I know does that. You'd have to be crazy if you thought about it in natural terms, right? You and I talked about that this week. And you say, wonder why they're talking about, you know, by faith, I'll tell them by faith. Cause they do it every day. We do it every day, day of our life. Amen. So 
and it's in, and it's an awesome life. So here we go. How would we treat the how how will we treat the gift that God sends us? Is the same way we actually in His mind is how we would treat Him if He was here. The way the way that you treat the people that God send you, Jesus takes it personal and says, "That's how you're treating me." If not so, then just go to the road of Damascus. Remember what Jesus said to Saul. Why are you persecuting me? They weren't persecuting him personally. But Jesus says, but these are my people, and he took it very personally. So this, we, we, we want to return with thanksgiving. We want to be generous. We want to be thankful. Um. Or Roberts said, and I'll finish with this. Uh, the, how many, how, how many bought, have Or Roberts' last book he wrote? It's, 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 it's called, uh, uh, something to do with, uh, uh, believing God for the impossibles, but it, it had to do with impossible things. So they interviewed Or Roberts and, and he said, and they asked him all these questions. Then they asked the same questions of T.L. Osborne. And they said they were asking him certain things to do with honor. And T.L. Osborne said, it's, 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 he says, it, it makes me feel real awkward to answer your questions. He says, but to speak truthfully, he says, in all the nations that I went to, Noah Roberts agreed. He interviewed, he interviewed both of them. John Bevere under, uh, interviewed both of them. They said all the nations that we went to all these years, and I think T.L. Osborne probably preached to more people than anyone ever has in the world, you know, in that time without media. And he says, the places where the miracles were massive were sometimes the places, you know, in the third world countries where they had so little that, you know, they would do everything, they would give you everything that they could and treat you just as Jesus was coming. They would walk with you with their palm leaves as best they have because there is no air conditioning. They would give you the best food that they had, which you might think is not edible, but it was the best that they had. He said, everyone, every nation that we went to that treated us just like that, he says, and he's in T.L. Osmond said, he said, it was, it was hard for me to receive it because, uh, I, I, these people, they don't even make $500 in a year. But they're giving me everything that they got. He said, it, it was so hard for me to, to take that offering. It was so hard for me to take that better food that they were going to give me while I was there for a week than having them and their children eating it. He said, it was uh, Daisy, she says, she, she says, Tell, I don't know if I can do this. She said, these people don't have anything, and they're giving us everything. They've come together, you know, by the hundreds and just to make a little. He said, in those services, he said, the anointing was it was such a way that TLR. He said, I, I couldn't stop the miracles from pouring out. I, he says, that's he said, you you asked the question. So in all my years before I go to heaven, I'm going to tell you the places that I saw the greatest miracles and breakthroughs in people's lives was the people who honored the gift that God sent to them. Now, you think I'm saying that to raise an offering, a better offering, and it might do that, but that's not my purpose. This was the greatest time that I had to teach that right behind, right behind this amazing message that we just heard. And I've watched it over years for 30 years of people coming in, and I've watched the people because I'm, I'm able to 
I got all of it right in front of me. I've watched the people who've been blessed the most, increase the most, and there was a direct correlation to how they lived their life, the choices that they made. The, 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 you know, the, there's no such thing as, uh, we, we hear it in America of, of small faith, medium sized, great faith. Reinhard Bunke said, I think that's a bunch of mess. He said, the only place you hear that preach is America. Either you have faith or you don't have faith. And if there, if there is a, if there is, if there is a small, medium or extra large, you know what it is? It's not one's greater than the other. It has to do with endurance. One great faith goes on for the long shot. Little faith just says, I'm through. Read the parable of the sower. Endured for what? For a little while. I've, I've watched the people over 30 years, just my experience. And, uh, you can't change it. It happened. It's my experience. And I just see there's a, there's a, there's a, it's like science. You know, numbers don't lie. The people that, that, that was, uh, tied in, blessed, stuck, stayed, went through the hard times, pressed on, pressed through, was a blessing. They're the ones that got the increase. There's the ones that got the miracles. And then some people say, I, I don't know why you're so blessed that things don't happen for me. But see, I do. I, I, I do. And I'm not there to, I'm not there to criticize them. I, I, I'm just here to say this actually worked. If you wasn't weary and well doing, it, 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 it changed your life. It changed your life. And I've got to see people, you know, come and go and sometimes they transfer and like that, you know, and I hope, you know, Glenn don't mind me using him, but you know, when Glenn was with us and, and, uh, in Clanton and he was, man, he was just, he helped an usher and all kinds of things and building and remodeled the building. And he was just so committed as, as a man and, and his two children, which is highly impressive to see that they, I mean, if you knew Kelsey, she was like, she would overwhelm you like, wow, this kid's wrapped up in revival. I mean, that, I mean, this is Charles G. Finney in a girl's body and can change the whole world, you know, and just like, I mean, I talk to her sometimes and make sure I'm right with God. <laughs> just like, just like <laughs> and uh, so God's always blessed him. Doesn't mean he hasn't had issues. I'm sure he has. But, but that's not a mystery to it. These are choices. So I know we got to go. So y'all are give envelopes if you did. So we're, we're, we're not going to do more or less because he's going to some nation or not going to a nation. You, you, you know the needs. He already told you. He, he told you who he's ministering to. He's going, he's, he's, he's going to minister to people that most of missionaries are going to neglect all their life. They don't even know that they're there. Most people never think about the Native Americans, do they? I mean, they, I mean, they're just like, tell, tell me, tell me the name of two people that you know are Native Americans you know personally, if you want to call me Indians. You don't know anybody hardly personally, do you? Matt and I went to Rama, and what was his name? Carl, the guy. I don't know if he was Cherokee or. Carl, anyway, he was a lot of fun every day. We'd come in for work out to Raymond, and he'd meet Matt and I, and he'd, he'd go, how you doing, how you doing, how you doing, how you, woo, 
I get to do it. <laughs> oh, he's a, hope your sales are great today. Oh, mom, mom. <laughs> he was a great man. Well, Kim, I want to tell you, um, we received the prayer that you prayed over these people, and we believe in the power of the spoken word. You, you, you decreed a word over us all. And I want to tell you from our heart, and I think I, I'm speaking for everyone here. Thank you. And we, and we believe the same thing is working in your life and your ministry. And for every ministry that you've been to, every church that you've been to where it wasn't right. I mean, sometimes they did all they could do and you knew that. You knew that and, and you went anyway and you knew they couldn't have done it anymore. But I want to thank you for going when it, when it wasn't profitable to you that week. And I want to thank you for sticking through the years and, and being, uh, uh, a man, a man of faith and class and love and ministering to people. And when they didn't do you right, you, you still chose to forgive and, and keep going forward. I want to thank you for all these 44 years of living by love offerings. When sometimes when you left the place, there wasn't a whole lot of love in there. I don't know why I'm saying all this, but it's just, this message brought that out to me and a whole lot. So let's, uh, let's show him what the love of God is in our hearts to him. Father, we thank you. We thank you for Brother Kim. We thank you, Lord, for his family, his ministry. We speak blessings and increase upon him, his life and all the people that he's reaching to. Father, we pray that the very next place, the next place on the schedule where he goes next Sunday, we thank you, Father, that this this offering today, I pray, Father God, that it will not just meet the need, but it will exceed the need. Not just supply the need, but 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 expand and increase and take him to the place that he's already going. And we bless those people who will hear the word that you have for them next week. We thank you, Father, that souls will be saved in his ministry this year, as they always are. We thank you that lives will be changed. Hearts will be turned around. Lives will be eternally changed. I bless each one that's here this morning. I thank you for the seed that they have sown. We receive it here, but you said there, Jesus himself, the high priest, receives the offering as he goes before the Father. We do it as an act of worship towards you, and we do it as the love of the gift that you gave and you sent to us this day. We receive, we see, we receive Brother Kim as a love gift. We thank you for the gift in him. And we bless him in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, this song has no lyrics. It's an instrumental. I played this for y'all once about a year and a half ago. I call it Snow in the Pines. Turquoise is going to sing this for y'all. <laughs> 